News Network. At one time, the government would not permit you to watch Elvis Presley shake his hips on TV. It was too racy. Have you been to a grammar school lately? Because that's where the fight to save or destroy the culture really is. Literally, on the home front, separating parents from their children and submitting kids to the worst kinds of pressures and manipulations. And that's the truth. From TNN, the Truth News Network, with your host, Dan Newman. One more layer of, I don't know, I don't understand, I can't figure it out. Seems like we're getting a new layer every couple of days. We're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out today together. Thank you for joining us at TNN Live. By the way, I don't mention it often, but I should every day. If you want to join the show live, we'll pay for the phone call. Toll free, 1-866-37-TRUTH. That's 1-866-378-7884. No matter if you want to ask a question, you want to uh, correct me on the air, or you want to give us some information that we don't have, feel free to give us a call. Again, that's toll-free 1-866-37-TRUTH. Now, what about everything going on around us? Has the chaos overwhelmed you? You're overloaded with news and information. You're getting this opinion and then that opinion and then a couple of more opinions about the same issue, all the opinions differ from each other, and we just don't know what to believe. We try to help you at least get some understanding of both sides of any conversation and then give you the evidence that we've researched and found on whatever the issue of the day is and let you, we'll tell you where to go. How do I find this? What source do I use? Folks, chaos is never good. Never is it good. It creates all kinds of problems about things that shouldn't even be part of a problem. But people use chaos to manipulate other people. So we're going to get into many of these things today. And we've got some really special stuff. Stay with us. I can think of younger days When living for my life was everything a man could want to do I could never see tomorrow I was never told about the sorrows And how can you mend the broken How can you stop the rain from falling down? How can you stop the sun from shining? What makes the world go round? How can you mend this broken land? How can a loser Ever win? Please help me mend my broken heart and let me live again. 
can still feel the breeze that rustles through the trees and misty memories of days gone by. We could never see tomorrow. No one said a word about the sorrow. How can you mend a broken heart? How can you stop the rain from falling down? you feel good when you're crying because things aren't going too well in your life you get a good song like that you can boo-hoo you can reminisce <laughs> or if you're in this thing listening with your significant other wife husband it's a good song to snuggle up with that kind of stuff we don't have a lot of it anymore and I'm not denigrating any music. I'm a music fanatic. I'm a musician. And I've got a great array of music styles that I like. And I'm one of those few exceptions of those who, when the music genre changes, I change with it. I'll add the new stuff to my old stuff. And that just gives me a good perspective, a better perspective on things in my life. I hope you think the same thing or get close to it because music, it's a great panacea, really good for us as we go through different phases of our lives and face different challenges. And boy, don't we have that happening. Oh my gosh. What's going on at our southern border? Uh, What's going on at our northern border? We don't hear anything about it, do we? Well, You're going to hear a little bit about it today. Not a lot, just some bad information, bad news coming up. Also, the 900-pound gorilla in the room is this mess over in the Middle East. We're going to talk about some pieces of it. We are not going to spend a lot of time today. I know many 
folks, when they, uh, when they listen to a show like this, usually you're doing something. You're at work, you're at home doing something, and you can't sit there for two hours. You just can't do it. I understand that. There are too many other important things in our lives. We cannot walk away from issues. If we walk away from them, there's no way they'll ever be resolved. So we just need to know about them. So we're going we're gonna to walk through the world of uh, things that we need to deal with and do some highlights. And it's going to begin with what America saw last night. It was the second Oval Office speech that this president has given, only two now. And of course, this one, I said just a moment ago, the 900-pound gorilla in the room. My goodness, if this Hamas, Iran, Israel thing is not consuming all of the oxygen in your house, boy, it is doing it to me. It's just nonstop. And people have picked it up. All of the stories as they are given to us, the information we're getting from various sources, and it's sad to say this, but it's factual, people around the world are hearing things and they're drawing lines in the sand. They choose which thing, which perspective, which story to believe, and they're drawing a line in the sand saying, hey, I'm on this side of the line, this version of it, is factual, and if you don't agree with me, I hate you. And over in the Middle East, it's not just I hate you, it's you don't deserve to live and breathe the same air as I'm breathing, so they'll kill you. We're living in a world full of stuff just like that, and we've got to find a way to handle it. And it helps when we can get some facts. So let's just kind of review the Oval Office speech last night. He gave his address from the Oval Office. I told you that. Very seldom does the president do that. And usually when they do it from the Oval Office, it's about a very serious topic. The president provided an update on two big areas of conflict in the world that involve us, including Israel's war with Hamas and Russia's continued fighting in Ukraine. The president vowed America would not be on the sidelines of either conflict. His speech was kind of brief, but his remarks were met with some criticism from a lot of people, some from his own party, much and many Republicans and others accused him of trying to fix problems that he previously caused and tried to use the slaughtering of Israelis in the current humanitarian crisis in Gaza to get us to sign off on more money, additional funds in the Ukraine conflict. You know what? The shame of it all is that we wouldn't even be in this terrible position if the president hadn't been so weak in Afghanistan, hadn't been so slow in Ukraine, hadn't been pandering like he always has been to Iran and so absent from the border. We still have a horror show that develops more evil every day. The world is on fire. And to be succinct, we need strong leadership to deal with it. Some critics call that speech unbelievable, completely disgraceful. Those are opinions now. He focused on Ukraine 
I think a lot of people expected it to be more about the conflict in Israel because that's right now the 900-pound gorilla in the room. But he didn't. He focused on Ukraine. And that part of it included him saying he will send an urgent budget request to Congress today to fund America's national security needs to support our critical partners, including Israel and Ukraine. And he said, this is a smart investment that's going to pay dividends for American security for generations. Hmm. Presidential presidential candidate Nikki Haley emphasized Biden's weakness around the globe ahead of the speech and said the blame for the current state of affairs over there should rest on him. Quote, Biden cozied up to Iran, giving it billions of dollars, easing sanctions. Biden talks a big game on Russia, but he was too slow in providing Ukraine with the weapons to beat Russia quickly. Biden's weakness on Moscow and Tehran has strengthened Beijing. This is from Nikki Haley. Senator Tim Scott, also from South Carolina, he is seeking the Republican nomination to run against Joe Biden. He tweeted, Biden gave $6 billion to number one state sponsor of terrorism. And he added, there's no way around that. Senator Scott also joined Hannity last night when he further talked about Biden's address. Quote, our ally Israel was bombed by a terrorist organization and tonight's Oval Office speech focused more on Ukraine than Israel. The presidential contender said, that's unbelievable. He also said Biden should have more clearly sent a message to Iran and the consequences they would face if they continued to back terror groups like Hamas and Hezbollah. Joe Concha, I don't know if you like Joe. He is, to me, he's a good guy. I think for media, he talks too fast. He's got lots of information. He's brilliant. But it's hard for me, I guess maybe it's because I'm an old man, (laughs) to keep up with some of the content that he tells us about. But he is officially a Fox News contributor. He talked about During the speech, Biden gave himself credit for being the first president to visit Israel during a wartime. Biden has now twice patted himself on the back for being the first American president to go into a war zone. Concha said, this speech is an absolute mess. Then Senator J.D. Vance, Republican from Ohio, he said the president appeared to correlate the two global conflicts to sell the American people on additional aid to Ukraine, which has warred with Russia for more than 600 days now. I think what the president did is completely disgraceful. If he wants to sell the American people on $60 billion more dollars to Ukraine, he shouldn't use dead Israeli children to do it. Vance said that was disgusting. Hannity talked about the speech during his show, Last night, I thought it was cliche, Hannity said. I wanted to hear more about the barbaric brutality that took place in Israel, the worst terror attack in their history. I wanted to hear more about hostages. I wanted to hear more about the Americans that were killed. I wanted to hear more about what America needs to do in all of this. Brett Hume, of all people, he is, 
I guess he's one of the elder political statements at Fox News. He shocked me, and you'll hear in a second, he shocked Dana Perino because Britt Hume said it. I thought it was a good speech. I thought it it covered everything. I thought he was positive. I didn't feel any of that, but he did. And then Dana Perino, just before Hannity, she said that she didn't think it was strong. I actually didn't think it was strong, she said. I prepared all day to want to love this speech. I prepared all day to want to stand up and cheer. But at times during the speech, I felt like a speech whose pages had been mixed up out of order. I thought he didn't spend enough time talking about the atrocities of October 7th, she added. Now, she did applaud Biden for talking about anti-Semitism, but she said he rushed that part of the speech, and the next thing I knew, we're talking about Ukraine. Republican congressional candidate J.R. Majewski, he described Biden's speech as a campaign ad for Trump. That entire Biden speech was a campaign ad for Donald Trump 24, Majewski wrote on Twitter. Trump never gave speeches about how badly we needed to help the world because of the wars that he caused because he never caused these problems. And he added one more thing. Joe Biden does not deserve another term in office. Frankly, he doesn't deserve deserve another day in office. And on the other side of the aisle, of course, Democrats lauded the speech. Biden also got praise from Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. I thank Joe Biden for his powerful address. Together, we'll not allow hatred to destroy freedom. We'll not let terrorists destroy democracy. That's Zelensky tweeting. Ukraine is grateful for all the U.S. support and its unfaltering belief that humanism, freedom, independence, and rules-based international order must always triumph. Now, just looking back, kind of to wrap this up, this was a day after the president went to Tel Aviv. He met there with Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu and other Israeli officials, and he went with the hopes of containing the crisis in the Gaza Strip from erupting into a wider conflict. Biden also said he would keep American troops out of harm's way and that the congressional aid package would help us build a world that is safer, more peaceful, and more prosperous for our children and our grandchildren in Israel. I watched the speech. I watched it myself. I flipped over after the speech looking and listening to what the talking heads had to say. And it's right down political lines. And I was kind of sad. I'm one of those people, I don't trust what I hear politicians say. Now, it doesn't matter if it's my good friend Mike Johnson, my congressman, Steve Scalise from down in New Orleans, um, and any other politician. Whenever they speak, my default opinion before they say anything is this is going to be a political attempt to change something in the way I think. And I'm not stupid, and I'm also, I don't know everything. I really understand that. I'm always and always have been a sponge for information. But of late especially, and it gets worse and worse, it's hard to give anybody, I don't care who it is, if they're a politician, they're on a television camera sitting in a meeting on the floor of the House or the Senate giving a speech, my default position is 
I got to figure out the truth of the topic they're talking about because I can't trust, I can't as a default trust what they're saying is factual. That makes it really hard to be a good American. It's really tough to support those in office when we see all of the things that are happening around us that are directly from this administration, from President Joe Biden right on down the line. We're going to talk just a little bit later about the continued weaponization of the Department of of Justice against the American citizens. And every day something new comes into focus that proves Not only is it being done, it's getting worse and worse and more egregious. And Americans know it. And we don't know what we can do about it. Think about for a second all of the things that we hear. And it's kind of like layers. You look at one layer, you make the choice and a decision based on what you see on that layer, and you take the top layer off and right below it are quote-unquote facts that change everything that were in the first layer. And we can't stop there anymore. We pick that layer up, and there's another layer underneath it that says everything in the first layer and the second layer is false. Here's the facts. And here's what's tough for all of us. Our lives are too busy. We have too much that's pulling at us. We have family members. We have extended family members. We have economic issues. We have violence and criminality internally that we can't get our arms around. And then you pile all of the illegal activity, the thousands and millions that are flooding across our southern border, and the guy from the Oval Office is single-handedly every day committing constitutional violations by not enforcing constitutional laws. And when I say constitutional laws, what are those? They are all of the bills that have gone through both the House and the Senate. They've been vetted. They've been amended if there were amendments to do. And then they've been chosen by a majority of those in the House and a majority of those in the Senate. And they've agreed, Mr. President, we want you to sign this into law. And he does. That's what is being dismissed from the minds of the demands of being in office that these lawmakers all agreed, took an oath that they were going to do it if they were elected. We elected them. Many in Congress are doing their part. It goes to the president's desk and he signs it. And then from there on, he will thumb his nose at anything that he signed into law. Even he signed it into law. If it doesn't fit the Democrat Party political narrative of that day. I mean day, I'm talking about 24 hours. Case in point, if you weren't here yesterday, we talked about that person that he nominated for his cabinet. She was not confirmed by the Senate. She's a Democrat. 
The Democrats have control of the U.S. Senate. They have the majority, and they couldn't even confirm her to that office. And we find out days ago that what President Biden did, he totally violated the U.S. Constitution. He does not have any authority to single-handedly change a law. A law. That means it went through the people's representatives in the House and Senate. And part of that is it gives the United States Senate, not the House, but the United States Senate has the sole power of advice and consent. That means when something like this, a cabinet member, a president, this president, any president, appoints somebody to serve in that office, they go to the United States Senate, the U.S. Senate vets them, listens to them, They get evidence together, they ask questions, and if and when that person is qualified, according to the people's representative, they'll either recommend that person or say no. That's the way it stands. So what did Joe Biden do? She didn't get confirmed. He very quietly appointed her to serve in that cabinet position on an interim basis. Now, that's bad enough. What we found out is worse than that is he determined, she, not elected, not elected at all, not confirmed by the U.S. Senate, but because Joe Biden wanted to, for whatever reason or reasons, give her something, make her something, in addition to appointing her to head that department on an interim basis, he changed the secession to the U.S. presidency that only the Constitution can set or additional law that goes through both the House and the Senate confirmed by a president after that to change the line of secession. He single-handedly, in a letter, changed the line of secession and put her in it. So technically, this person who wasn't qualified to serve as a cabinet member, and even Democrats didn't accept her, she, according to him, it's not going to happen because the truth came out. But that's the thought president, uh, thought process of this president, and sadly, many other people, many lawmakers. I've said this before, but I hadn't said it in a long time. It seems like they come out of the homes their condos, their wherever they live in Washington, every day, every morning. And before they get in their cars, they lick their thumb and stick it up. And from whichever way they determine the wind is blowing that day, they're going to vote this way on every issue. And if the wind changes, they're going to move the other way. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about the necessity or the need for the legislation they're going to vote on. It's just the political winds of the day determine how they vote. You want my opinion on the speech last night? People around the world obviously listened to it, watched it. You can bet leaders in those foreign countries, European country leaders, Asian country leaders, all across Europe, They listened and watched to Joe Biden. You know who else did? 
the leaders in Iran, the leaders in Libya and Egypt and Iraq, Turkey, all those Middle Eastern and Southeast Asian countries. And of course, Vladimir Putin, he certainly was watching it. And every time they see or hear this president speak and they look at what he does as president, the stuff that no other president has ever done, but he does it and he's allowed to do it by people in his party and they hide it way more often than you and I think they do. And more than ever before, this guy thumbs his nose at the rule of law and doesn't care about the Constitution or what thumbing his nose does to the American people. We've got some stories we'll get into specific about that very thing. Nobody, nobody can credibly maintain that Joe Biden is not every day violating his load, his oath of office. Not only that, breaking the law by suborning illegal immigrants coming into this nation in contravention of the very laws that he was part of passing when he served in the United States Senate. None of that matters. The people's representatives, you know, the ones that the voters voted on and sent to D.C. to represent them and their various congressional districts or states, none of that matters. Joe Biden's the president of the United States, and as he feels, depending on the circumstances of the day, that's what he's going to do. Forget about what he is supposed to do according to the law. We call that an impeachable offense. And everybody says, well, we'll just vote him out of office in 2024. Let me just give you some facts, some nuggets, and then we're going to move on. You and I, the only way we get involved in the impeachment process of anybody in government is at the ballot box. At the ballot box. Little tidbits every few days leak out of that 2022 election, 2020 election, every two years elections. But let's look just simply at what came out yesterday regarding 2020 elections. Did you know that every state in the nation that stayed hard on their state laws regarding mail-in ballots, every one of those states, Donald Trump blistered Joe Biden those states, the ones where people, if they're, when they're going to vote, exercise their constitutional right to vote, they go to the polling machines and they vote in person. Trump dominated across the nation in those states. Mail-in ballot states, the ones that they just went nuts and changed everything and they blamed it on COVID. Every one of those states... Biden won. There were 60 million mail-in ballots in 2020. You know how many there were in 2016? Two million. Is that just a strange coincidence? Did that many people 
stay in their homes, fearing that if they went to the polling booth, they were going to catch COVID-19, so they didn't go. Do you think those 60 million mail-in ballots were cast legally? (laughs) Every one of them? And I brought this point up at this point in today's show before we leave the topic, and we are in just a second, because I wanted you to know the government has been weaponized against American voters who want voters and votes cast to be legally here and to be voting according to constitutional laws. Every single time, every single vote. And of course, that didn't happen. And then they weaponized the fact, if you gripe about it after the fact, if you object about the, the process, the process, the voting process, if you object to it and you stood up and you had a pulpit that was bigger than most people's, you were, let's say, a lawyer and you were on national news, or you were a national news figure, and you had the chutzpah to step up and speak your mind, say what you thought, talk about alleged wrongdoing, and editing the things that you said. Instead of abiding by the right and the rights, multiple, that were guaranteed and still are in the First Amendment. This administration determines who can speak, who can't, and what they can say. And more and more every day, the Biden Department of Justice is going after people who disagree with them, which is a constitutional right to do in this nation, at least right now, And they're thumbing their noses at those rights and they're stealing. They are robbing the rights in the First Amendment from American citizens, left and right. Last night's speech evidenced that. And what do you mean, Dan? Why would Joe Biden jump on Ukraine? He spoke far more last night in that speech about Ukraine and giving them a bunch more money than he did Israel. Did you hear him use the term Iran? Nope. Why would that be? The answer is obvious. He's up to his nose in Iranian issues. And don't you dare talk about it. You can't do that. That's a sitting president. That's a threat. There are people in jail in Washington, D.C. that did just that. Many of them have been there for the last two years waiting for the trial. You know that thing that's guaranteed to be speedy in the Constitution? Throwing your political opponents in prison, that had never happened in the United States until Joe Biden was elected. You need brake pads? We have brake pads, like dependable brake pads. Quieter brake pads, longer life brake pads, and performance brake pads. At AutoZone, we have all the brake pads you need, so you can get the job done right. Get in the zone, AutoZone. If you want a smart truck, you want an F-150 with available pro-trailer backup assist. 
If you want a strong truck, you want an F-150 with a high-strength, military-grade aluminum alloy body. If you want a capable truck, you want an F-150 with up to 13,200 pounds of available towing. So to recap, you want the smart, the strong, the capable Ford F-150. Society says we should only have tacos with the gang on Tuesday. But Taco Bell doesn't play by the rules. Step away from the tacos! With Taco Bell party packs, gangs are having tacos any day of the week, even Sunday. So whether your gang is soft, crunchy, or straight up locos, it's time to come together and fight for tacos any night. It's taco anarchy. Can you feel it? Are they dance fighting? Rebel against Tuesday tradition with Taco Bell party packs. Pick it up or get it delivered for the whole crew. One more little bitty thing about the speech last night. President used that Oval Office speech to warn us all and his Muslim and Jewish supporters against mutual hatred as Israel prepares to smash a Muslim terror group. We must, he said, without equivocation, denounce anti-Semitism. We must also, without equivocation, denounce Islamophobia. And to all you hurting, those of you hurting, I want you to know, I see you. You belong. And I want to say this to you. You're all American. You're all American. And when he said that, just something just immediately popped into my head. I don't think, I don't think he was speaking to Americans. I think he was speaking to those who are here illegally or somewhere else but they're thinking about coming to the United States illegally. He wasn't talking to you or me. He wasn't talking to you and me. He was sending a message to illegal immigrants that are either already headed this way or they want to head this way. And you can't forget, he's preparing to run for re-election and he needs to minimize disagreements within his increasingly diverse coalition. In moments like these, he said, when fear and suspicion, anger and rage run hard, we have to work harder than ever to hold on to the values that make us who we are. He called for sectarian unity. Sectarian unity. You think he wrote that in the speech? I doubt it. What is sectarian unity? He said, we're a nation of religious freedom, freedom of expression. We all have a right to debate and disagree without fear of being targeted in schools or workplaces or in our communities. We must renounce violence and vitriol, see each other not as enemies, but as fellow Americans, unless you disagree with me, and then I'll sick the Department of Justice on you, and we'll take away as many of your rights, your constitutional rights, as we can possibly do. 
And of course, I added that little bit. We're listening to the things that he said, but I referenced the things that he's doing, things that he's done. I wish I wish I had you in front of me, who, all of you, any of you, face-to-face, and we could sit here for a few minutes and chat. I'd love to get your opinion about what the real issues are that we're dealing with today. Set aside Ukraine for a minute. We're up to our eyeballs in assistance in Ukraine. Yes, the timing for doing so was horrible. The Ukrainian people lost many citizens because this president wasn't quick enough to act and give them the firepower that they needed to get Russia taken care of in the beginning. But that's behind us. There's nothing we can do about it. But listen, we're in the middle of an annihilation and extermination of a whole section of world citizens. What happened in Israel, forget about the Hamas piece for a minute. Look at the history of this whole situation over there. Other than the Holocaust, where 6 million plus Jews were exterminated, other than that, this is the most difficult, the most costly thing that has ever happened to the Jewish community, what was initiated on the 7th of October, during the middle of the night, paid for by the Iranian terrorist administration. Those are the people I think about. He didn't even talk about any of the Americans that were killed. He didn't talk about any of them that are hostages today, many of who we don't know are even hostages. Can you imagine, think about it, can you imagine Ronald Reagan allowing that to happen and go without retaliating against? Can you believe that this president asked Israel to stand down, ask them not to retaliate against the slaughter of more than a 1,000 Jews over last weekend. On what authority does he have to almost demand that? Because we pay them money, we give them support, so that means they are forever obligated to do not what they feel is best for their freedom and their nation, and their people, but what a U.S. president thinks? Joe Biden thinks that. What we need to concentrate on is who's the enemy? Because the enemy in that whole thing that happened over there have us in their bullseye. We're their targets. Their words for us in the United States of America is we are the great Satan. Israel's only the small Satan. We're in this up to our eyeballs. And if we don't have leaders that will stand up and address it and address it from the mindset of we're going to stop it, we're going to lose this thing. Whatever losing this thing turns out to look like. And I am absolutely certain of that. Do you think that our leaders in the Biden administration, leaders at the Pentagon, leaders in the White House, 
all the bureaucrats and those that were elected. Do you think we really understand who the enemy is? Of course, it's initiated and in large part completely funded by Iran. He didn't speak about Iran last night. He didn't put them on notice. I supported Donald Trump in both elections. I saw him get things done when something like this happened, when Americans were impacted, when Americans were killed. The Iranians killed one American journalist. What would Joe Biden have done in that case? You want an example of what he would do? Look at what he did in Afghanistan. Without talking to any real military experts and creating a real plan to get the military and every American out of Afghanistan before the Taliban came in and beheaded all of them, he gave them Hamas. He Not Hamas. <laughs> he gave the Taliban about $80 million of military equipment and supplies when we walked out of the largest Air Force base for the United States military in the world, except the ones here in the United States, Bagram. They just took our stuff and turned it around and used it on us, those 12 American military members that lost their lives at the Abbey Gate at the airport, they were killed with explosives that they got from that trove of explosives at Bagram Air Base. Put that in the context of what's happening now. What happens, why has Iran suddenly awakened and they've gone active at forcing our allies in the Middle East to deal with all this death and destruction. You think they would have done that if Donald Trump was still president? I'm just wondering. And I look at what he did, not what he said, but what he did. He quietly, he told them, he warned them, you hurt Americans, we're going to hurt you back. They killed that journalist. He killed Soleimani, the number one leader in the Iranian Military, the number one. And then the president then, Donald Trump, he told them, quid pro quo, you retaliate against that action. We did that because you slaughtered an American citizen. Never did another thing. Never tried another thing, did the Iranians. So where we stand now, it is not face-to-face with Iran, but it's with one of their henchmen operations, Hamas. We hear so many things in this noise on the national stage over the last few days when our lawmakers, Americans in the U.S. Congress, are getting up with a bully platform that is provided to them by the American taxpayers, by the way, and they are going crazy, stupid, and lying about what happened in that invasion, that slaughter of Israeli people that night, October 7th. 
we don't even know a thing about Hamas. Wouldn't it be smart if our government would come out and educate us all about who our enemy is? So here's what I did. I went looking. I want to find somebody that understands, a Palestinian that explains what's the difference between a Palestinian citizen or somebody who's Palestinian and Hamas. What's the difference? And I found one. To my Palestinian brothers and sisters and to anyone who supports the Palestinian people, I implore you, please do not let Hamas brainwash you into thinking it has achieved anything on our behalf. It hasn't. Not in the Gaza wars of 2021, 2014, 2012, or 2008. Each one of these pointless conflicts has been a catastrophe, costing us dearly in lives and treasure. Hamas is not a social justice movement, and it certainly does not care about the Palestinian people. It is a criminal gang that only cares about increasing its own power. Israel is not the main cause of your suffering. Hamas is the main cause. Israel is not your jailer. Hamas is. It was Hamas that led you into this most recent disaster. They told you that the Israelis were evicting innocent Palestinians from their homes in the Sheikh Jarrah area of East Jerusalem. It is a lie. The people living in those homes weren't tenants. They were squatters. They hadn't paid rent for decades. They told you that the Israelis planned to destroy the Al-Aqsa Mosque. This too is a lie. The mosque is still there. It will be there tomorrow. Say what you want about the Israelis. They are not stupid. They know that if they actually attempt to destroy Al-Aqsa, it would lead to war with every Muslim country. Yes, Hamas take actions and thus look strong next to its rival, the corrupt Fatah party. But the only action it takes is to lead us into chaos. Hamas has no ability and, in fact, no desire to govern. The water isn't safe to drink. The power goes out for hours at a time. Raw sewage washes up on your beaches. The Israelis are not responsible for these dismal failures. Hamas is, and everybody in Gaza knows it. It is Hamas that steals the imported cement meant to build houses for you and uses it instead to build a massive network of tunnels from which it hopes to terrorize Israelis. It is Hamas that makes sure humanitarian aid meant for you is diverted to its favored elites who then sell it for a profit on the black market. And it is Hamas that uses you as a human shield, stationing rocket launchers and missile arsenals in your apartments, office buildings, schools, and even hospitals. Israel uses rockets to defend its people. Hamas uses people to defend its rockets. As for its war strategy, Hamas doesn't have one. It fires missiles at the most highly populated regions of Israel with no specific target. Yet, I know from my sources in Gaza that as much as 25% of all rockets launched by Hamas in May 2021 
crashed within Gaza. 50 Gaza civilians were killed by these rockets. Their deaths falsely blamed on Israel. Are you aware of the fact that some of the Hamas missiles that Israeli defense forces failed to intercept ended up exploding in places like Jaffa, Abu Ghosh, and Lud, where Arab Israelis live? Palestinians living in Israel are as likely to be killed as Israelis themselves. Hamas couldn't care less. And what was gained? Palestinians living in these four buildings in Sheikh Jarrah will still eventually be evicted. A fact that has been known to those families since they sold away the title to those buildings. Think about the even greater number of Palestinians who are now homeless in Gaza because Hamas chose to hide weapons in residential buildings. And when naive American and European NGOs offer millions to rebuild Gaza, who do you think will get that money? It won't be you. The people who really deserve it and need it. It will be the leaders of the Hamas gang and their friends who will add new rooms to their fancy villas rather than rebuild homes, purchase coronavirus vaccines, or provide social services for their people. And the peace you so deserve, the peace which could have been possible when Israel withdrew entirely from the Gaza Strip in 2005, will be even further out of reach. Hamas robbed you of that chance when it set up its military gang then. It's robbing you of the same chance now. No matter how many Jews it managed to kill, Hamas will never be satisfied. It will never stop lying. But you can stop believing its lies. I am Basim Eid for Prager University. There you heard it, folks. That wasn't a political speech. That was a Palestinian talking about Hamas. Two different things. We see over and over and over again, Hamas controls the people, the Palestinian people in Gaza. They do whatever they want to with those people. We saw it when the first convoy was coming into the Gaza Strip from Egypt with all kinds of uh, supplies and food and medicine and help for the Hamas people. Hamas met that convoy at the border. They stole everything, everything in the convoy, even the trucks. The evil there are not the Palestinians. Say what you will about the politics of Palestinians. You may like it. You may be okay with it. You may abhor it. But evil is when anybody takes control of another person, even when they don't have the right to do so, and force those people to live lives that they don't choose to live. That is tyranny. That is Hamas. You do your thing, and you do it well. Now, it's time to do it bigger. It's time for Shopify. Shopify makes it easy to set up your online store. Expand into new sales channels and bring your brand into the real world. 
Get everything you need to launch your business today with Shopify. So you guys grew up together? Yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I wasn't looking at anything. We're not good enough for you. You look for something else? No, I, just, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Supermodels? What are you modeling? Gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Right? Eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. Budweiser presents the world's first star in your own radio commercial. Okay, guys, whenever you hear this sound, insert your name. Hi there. Your name. Sorry I'm late. Sometimes there just aren't enough hours in the day to be a neurosurgeon and a swimwear model. Oh, am I thirsty. How about it? Your name. Got anything tall and cool? Oh, Budweiser long necks, though. Your name. You are so thoughtful. But of course, Bud's the first choice for every occasion. Ah, you know I have a confession to make. If I ever had a son, I'd want to name him. Your name. Oh. Your name. Come here. Now. Mm. Your name. Your name. Your name. Well, you did very well in your first commercial. Have a Bud. You've earned it. Your name. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. Violence, screaming obscenities, heated arguments, angry crowds, roller derby? Nah. Election season. And your voice of calm is truthnewsnet.org. Have you ever wondered what's going on out there? Because we're not hearing very much about anything except the goings-on and the Middle East and how it's impacting people there. Life goes on back in the U.S. As we speak, we've got another big thing happening in the House of Representatives. Jim Jordan is now being nominated once more to be the House Speaker. But the speech nominating him is from the former Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. We'll keep you posted on the outcome. Hopefully we can get a house speaker today and get on about our business instead of putting everything on hold. Talking about mistakes that Joe Biden has made, guess what his White House folks did? And it's really, really important to understand. Do you know what doxing is? Doxing is when someone reveals the identity and details about another person in the public, somehow in the public, pictures, posts, names, all those kinds of things that really make horrible things happen with the person that just got doxxed. The White House IG posted pictures of the Special Forces team without blurring their faces, faces before eventually deleting it only after thousands saw it. This is what happens when you value diversity over competence in your hiring process. Everybody involved in that post should be fired. So this is a special forces team. They're undercover in Israel. They're over there fighting to keep people from dying and getting killed. They're among terrorists and they're hiding 
They're doing their job. That's what they're pros at. And somebody in the White House publicly released a picture of these people with information about where they were and what they're doing. It's being slammed as a massive failure, and that's the understatement of the year. Nothing can be done. (laughs) The horse is already out of the barn. While the picture was posted on Instagram, then it was deleted, social media users reported that they were still able to find the picture undoctored on other sites like X, formerly, formerly Twitter, Facebook, and 4chan. It's been reported this is not the team that rescues hostages, but are part of a team that works on security between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. Should have blacked out their ink as well as I did here. Any kind of identifying markings that could get into the hands of the wrong people and link back to family and friends. Criticism came in from everywhere. Poured in over the responsible staff and the incompetence of the Biden administration's diversity hires. Now, without saying it, the person that did the doxing was a member of a minority. I don't know which one it was but they were hired because of their skin color. It's kind of spooky. Kind of spooky. Then in Russia, an American journalist has being held by Russian authorities, Alsa Kuramashiva, a Russia-U.S. dual citizen and an editor of American broadcaster Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, was arrested yesterday by Russian authorities for failing to register as a foreign agent. Now, that's according to a statement from the broadcaster. She is the second American journalist to be held in Russia after Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershevik was arrested by authorities in March on espionage charges. Alsu is a high-respected colleague, devoted wife, dedicated mother to two children. This is Dr. Jeffrey Gedman saying this in a statement yesterday. She needs to be released so she can return to her family immediately. Kerma Shiva had traveled to Russia in May for a family emergency, according to a statement. She was scheduled to leave in early June, but was temporarily detained at the airport and had her Russian and U.S. passports confiscated by authorities. She was initially fined for failing to register her U.S. passport. That's according to a statement the Russians released. She expected to have them returned, but a new charge was announced yesterday, and Kermashiva now faces up to five years in prison if she's convicted. Why is that? What's going on? Russian law dictates individuals and members of organizations engaged in broadly defined political activity. They got to register as foreign agents. It's kind of like our law is over here that people, many people, some very well-known people, they don't do and they get away with it. People like uh, Hunter Biden. That law in Russia has received some backlash by rights groups as a way for Russia to suppress dissent while maintaining the Kremlin's public image. That too has a little tie into the United States. Like, you know, you can't go to D.C., and express your distrust of an election. And if you do do it, 
There's a good chance just because you were there, you may not have done anything, but they got you with uh, identification software. They got your picture and found out who you were. You may get indicted and you may get tried. Several hundred already have that were totally innocent of doing anything other than going that day. January 6th is what we're talking about, of course. Kermashiva's arrest mirrors that of Gershevik's, who himself was detained by Russian authorities in March for, quote, spying in the interest of the American government and trying to obtain classified information. Gershevik's arrest came after his contribution to a Wall Street Journal story that outlined the Wagner mercenary group's involvement in the Russia-Ukraine war. Wall Street Journal denied Gershevik was committing any illegal activity and has continually demanded his release. Gershevik's remains in a maximum security prison in Russia, according to the Wall Street Journal. Question for you as we move on. Wouldn't this be two cases that the White House should be up to their eyeballs getting these people back from Russia? Do you think if Donald Trump was in the White House, he would have addressed this already? I don't know. I'm just asking your opinion. (sighs) Interesting, isn't it? Jesse, (laughs) Jesse Waters last night, he got into a heavy discussion about those Hamas tunnels. And it's because he began to get stories and found out exactly what those tunnels are being used for, how they were done, where they came from, and how big a deal are they. And he was shocked. So the Israeli airstrikes are demolishing Hamas hideouts. This creates a tactical problem for Israel's ground offensive. The terrorists will use the rubble for cover, planting IEDs, hiding their snipers. The debris will also make it hard for Israeli tanks and heavy artillery to navigate. And while Hamas can still move around freely underground. Now Hamas has built 300 miles of tunnels underneath their cities and even tunnels into Israel. Hamas can ambush Israeli soldiers from every angle, then snake back down underground. Hamas wants you to chase them underground. The tunnels are laced with booby traps, heavily armed terrorists ready to kill around every corner. It's a maze of death. Some tunnels run over 100 feet deep, making them immune to airstrikes. Israel's destroyed these tunnels before, but Hamas rebuilds using Palestinian aid money, courtesy of Joe Biden. So why doesn't Israel implode the tunnels now? Because Hamas is probably holding hostages underground. You can't collapse the tunnel into 150 hostages. It's a jihadist labyrinth that'll increase casualties and prolong the war. Tunnels give native insurgents an advantage. Bin Laden used a series of cave tunnels to escape U.S. special forces after 9-11, you remember in Tora Bora. The Nazis built underground lairs across Europe. Hitler himself died in a bunker after swallowing a cyanide pill and shooting himself in the head. And then there's the deadliest tunnel system of all, Vietnam. The Viet Cong lived underground, maneuvered around our troops, ambushed us, and then escaped into the tunnels. So the U.S. Army took the fight to them. The smallest guys in the unit, they called them tunnel rats, had to go underground and smoke out the VCs. 
The tunnels were booby-trapped and filled with North Vietnamese. He knew what was around every corner, every dark corner. Those tunnels gave our troops nightmares. They still do. Nam was brutal. We lost 60,000 Americans. And this Israeli-Hamas war is set to be long and bloody. The Israelis need to be ready for a serious fight. Bob Stewart is an Army vet who fought in the tunnels of Vietnam. Bob, tell us what it was like. Well, you uh, get called in in uh, your unit and they ask for volunteers. Most of the guys, some guys were going to training. A lot of guys were just volunteers. I'll go in. Ain't got time to wait for the other units to come in. So you skinny guy, I was about 120 pounds soaking wet, kind of tall and thin, like a snake go down there. You got to worry about the punji sticks and the human uh, uh, waste on it and get you infection. Bacteria grow so fast, you amputate your feet and everything else before you can get them fixed. And they have a side slit, you know, drop in. And then next thing you know, they're bayoneting you. So we'd take a concussion grenade, throw it in there first, scramble the brains of the people that's in there. And then get the snakes out, the bamboo vipers and uh, other booby traps they'd have. And you got to go slow and easy, take you in with a rope and you get hurt, you jerk you back out. But you know, most of the time you keep going, there's different levels. They had trap doors with seals on them. You, know, you put food gas down there, you put uh, tear gas down there. We even tried to drown them out, didn't work. They would actually have entrances and stuff coming from the rivers and stuff. These people uh, over there in the Middle East have learned the lesson from the Vietnamese and the Japanese, and the Koreans, and the Hitler's guys, the Nazis, but so as the Israelis learn from the Americans about how to handle these people. And uh, it takes that special type of person that's willing to uh, give their life up for their country and their uh, loved ones and family, because uh, it takes a lot, of, a lot of courage to go down inside of a dark hole with a 45 and a flashlight and hope for the best. But a lot of times you don't want to use that 45, try to use your knife, because you don't want that loud noise that puts you, gives your position away. But uh, I can't talk very much about me, but I talk about the guys in 68, 69, that when they first went in the Iron Triangle where I was stationed at Coochie, Vietnam, and the 25th Infantry Division, the first of the 27th Wolfhounds, it was horrible. And uh, the old plantation, rubber plantation, they, it was completely honeycombed. And they had big uh, campaigns going in there to just try to clear it out. But I think of America and... Uh, they're, what they did in World War II, the Israelis paid attention, and they do it like we did in World War II through the Hitler and Nazis and the Japanese. They had the caves in, in uh, Iwo Jima and every Guadalcanal. They have a resolve to win that, and uh, they can walk right through there. And you're going to have casualties, and I'm, I'm a fearful for the, uh, the hostages because the hostages are going to pay the price because they're going to use them as human shields. They figure they play on your Christian heart that you don't want to kill your own people, and that is the sad part of it, and I pray for them and... I've got there uh, in my prayers every day because uh, living through that, it's a horrible, horrible thing. And there's so many guys that, you know, just can't cope with that. And there's a lot of guys that committed suicide. And, and like they call it 22 now with the guys from Iraq and Afghanistan. But the Vietnam vets, every day we were in the holes and every day shooting and firefights. And I commend the Israelis for paying attention and they go in and force and do what they got to do and, uh, and pray for the hostages. Uh, it, yeah, you just... Uh, Bob, you just blew me know, away. I've words. never heard anything that graphic and that terrifying in my well, entire career. That, that was, that was one hell this. of a description of what it's like underground. Each one of us raised our hands and gave up to, including our life if need be, to go into the service and fight for our country. We didn't ask what your race, your color, creed, or persuasion was, or your religion. 
you're American, good enough for us. And I think that's the same attitude they have in Israel. You're an Israeli and they will fight and die for their country and their loved ones. And uh, we've got your six. All right. Well, we salute you here, Bob. What a what oh, a thank you. Great hero you are. Love you, man. Thank I don't you. know about the hero part, but just to serve, did my job. That's it. No hero. We appreciate you. Thank you. God bless. That's another world from the one in which we we live our lives. We don't think about that. And when we talk about wars and the impacts of wars, they're happening elsewhere. We don't really understand it. Now, yeah, of course, we have people in the military. We have a military that's voluntary. We don't do a draft anymore. When I was growing up, when I was in high school, they had the draft during the Vietnam days. And boy, they put a lottery up there. They would have the drawing in the lottery based upon if you were born on what day of the year, day number whatever. They had every day of the year, 365 numbered. And when the draft came out, you were like, oh my gosh, you waited, you hoped, you prayed because nobody wanted to go to Vietnam. And it in part was because our leaders, they didn't really explain to the American people why we needed to go. And it was horrible over there. There's a book out. It's been out not long after the Vietnam War. I still have it. I bought it and read it. The Tunnels of Kuchai. You heard him mention that. And it was the most comprehensive planned way to surprise opponents in war. These tunnels in Vietnam, of all places, it's not the most advanced country on earth. They were unbelievable. And many American vet, uh, vet, uh, law, uh, members, military members, lost their lives fighting in those tunnels. There are a lot of people that can't handle that. I'm very claustrophobic. It's almost funny to people in my family. Sometimes if I'm in a big building, I'll never forget it. The old Sears Tower in Wash in uh, Chicago, you know, it used to be the tallest building in the United States. Our uh, arena football insurance company's office is in that building, and it's not on the top floor, but it's way up there. The building's so tall that you can't get on an elevator in the lobby and go all the way to the top floor. You can go part way up and you have to get off of that and get on another elevator to go up and it has something to do with pressure and the movement of the building. Yes, I did say the moving of the building. You can go up to the top floor and when you do, I did it one time, you stand up against the window looking out at the building across the street down below and you can watch that building that you're in, moving. They purposely built into that building a flex thing. How does that work? I don't know how it works, but they tell you. There's a story. They tell you they did it so that the building wouldn't be so stiff on its foundation that if a small earthquake or something came along, it's not going to break up. It's flexing, so it moves as the weather changes and the wind blows. The Windy City, that's how Chicago got that name. It is the spookiest thing. And looking out that window, I couldn't hardly do it. Riding in those two elevators, 
I couldn't hardly do it. And I've gotten off elevators before when I'm going up higher and a bunch of people are on and it stops and more people get on and it gets packed. I can't handle it. I'll give the ultimate explanation. (laughs) In our bed at night, Marianne likes the seat, the sheets really tight. I have to pull the sheet down at my feet where she tucks it in. I pull it up because I can't stand my feet being really secured in the sheets at the bottom of the bed. Claustrophobic. Anyway, all that being said, we're learning a lot. (laughs) I'm learning a lot. And it seems like every day some interesting, sometimes surprising, sometimes saddening news comes out about wrongdoing of people that we never thought these people would do. There's a platform that processes the majority of Democrats' campaign contributions, and it's working with organizations that have expressed support for Hamas's terrorist attacks or attempted to justify them by citing Israel's alleged human rights abuses. It's called ActBlue. You've probably heard about it. It's a fundraising platform favored by Democrat politicians and left-of-center advocacy groups It's processing donations for Black Lives Matter, grassroots, Palestine Legal, U.S. Palestinian Community Network, and multiple chapters of the Democrat Socialist of America, alongside others. These groups have put out statements blaming Hamas's terrorist attacks on Israel, calling the attacks a desperate act of self-defense or legitimate and promoting an Israeli-designated terror organization. So, USPCN, ActBlue, released a statement the day of the terrorist attacks calling them self-defense operations, and it constituted a legitimate response to unending violence from Israel's extreme right-wing, racist, white supremacist, Zionist government. I mean, they thought of, (laughs) whoever wrote that, they thought of every nasty word you could call somebody in the Middle East and threw it in there. Extreme right wing, racist, white supremacist, Zionist. (laughs) The statement accuses Israel of ethnic cleansing, claims that Palestinians have an internationally recognized right to resist illegal military occupation. I don't know about that. AgBlue processes donations for USPCN, according to the platform's website. USPCN is a fiscal project, money project, of the Westpac Foundation, which also fundraises through AgBlue. And don't forget this. Hamas killed at least 1,400 people, Israelis, and some people of other nationalities that happened to be in Israel that day, October 7th. And those numbers include at least 30 Americans. ActBlue processed $3.5 billion, B billion, in donations to campaigns and organizations from 7.4 million unique donors during our 2022 election cycle. That's according to their own website. The New York Times described the platform ActBlue as Democrats not so secret weapon. Palestine Legal, that's another organization that uses ActBlue to fundraise. 
They called Hamas's attacks one of the most significant acts of Palestinian resistance to Israel's nearly 80 years long settler colonial project in Palestine. Palestine. And accuse Israel of preparing to commit genocide. There is no equivalence, moral or otherwise, between Israel's nearly 80 years of ceaseless colonial violence and the resistance that it has engendered. Black Lives Matter Grassroots posted a statement on its website. They said that it stands in solidarity with our Palestinian family who are currently resisting 57 years of settler colonialism and apartheid. I thought it was 80 years. Well, they said Black Lives Matter said 57 years. When a people have been subject to decades of apartheid and unimaginable violence, their resistance must be condemned, but understood as a desperate act of self-defense. The organization doubled down on its statement October 16th, posting it again on social media. So clicking the donation link on Black Lives Matter Grassroots main webpage, it redirects you to a donation portal maintained by Act Blue. Clicking the donation link on the page where the organization hosted statement redirects you to a fundraising portal run by the Tides Foundation. Now, what's the Tides Foundation? It's a major leftist grant-making organization and a major pass-through funder to numerous left-leaning nonprofits. Democrat Socialist of America, chapters from Boston, Baltimore, and San Francisco, they have all released statements supporting Palestine in the days following Hamas's attacks. All three groups have their donations processed by ActBlue. Violent oppression inevitably produces resistance. That's what the San Francisco DSA chapter stated. Socialists support the Palestinian peoples and all peoples' right to resist and fight for their own liberation. This weekend's events are no different. A statement calls on individuals who share the DSA vision to join the fight to end the occupation and decolonize Palestine from the river to the sea. That's their big statement, from the river to the sea. The Greater Baltimore DSA asserted it's unwavering in its solidarity with the people of Palestine in their decades-long fight to end the occupation, just more and more and more and more. I just wonder, why do they consider Israel to be so evil? I understand they have a difference of opinion on a lot of different levels, but it's one thing to have disagreements. It's another thing to kill somebody just because they disagree with you. And it's also kind of um, unsettling for this American to accept the fact as being legitimate that they kill somebody just because of their nationality, and it's different. And we also need to remember this. A huge majority of Palestinians do not believe in Hamas or not part of Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist wing funded in large part in fact, almost totally, by Iran. 
Sometimes facts don't uh, say the things we want to hear. Sometimes, though, facts are understood to be uh, facts and their truths. Sometimes people don't like that. It's a lot to take in, but when you need a refresher, it's all here. 24-7, 365. Every podcast, every blog. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. You do your thing, and you do it well. Now, it's time to do it bigger. It's time for Shopify. Shopify makes it easy to set up your online store, expand into new sales channels, and bring your brand into the real world. Get everything you need to launch your business today with Shopify. Ladies, we ask your forgiveness. Please forgive our immaturity, our outbursts of tacky compliments. Forgive our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes for insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist and please forgive us for never washing our hands ever Schneider the beer with the exact maturity for the man who's in the process Just a note for you, we told you earlier that um, Kevin McCarthy, former House Speaker, gave the nominating speech this morning in the House as they are trying to find somebody that a consensus choice would be the new House Speaker. And Kevin McCarthy gave the nominating speech again for um, the Ohio Republican to become the Speaker and I'm checking in on it every few minutes. Um, It looks like he's going to lose again. Here we go. The same guys, many of the same people are holding on and not agreeing to elect Jim Ryan to be uh, Jim Jordan. I don't know why I keep saying that, but uh, just enough people. Think about this whole debacle when... Matt Gates of Florida is the one that put this thing up that ended up getting, for the first time in American history, a House Speaker kicked out of the position. That was Kevin McCarthy. And McCarthy comes back, and he gives the nominating speech for Jim Jordan. I just don't understand why these people that are elected representatives of you and me, why they don't understand They don't need to love everybody in the Republican Party that sits in the House or the Senate with them. It's not about that. It's doing the people's business. And if you don't have a House Speaker, you can't do the financial business of the U.S. And we've got some issues. We really have some big-time financial issues and some other issues that can't even be discussed or even discussed in session 
getting things shaped up to come before the entire house to be voted on. It's almost like they're a bunch of kids. Speaking of a lot of things happening that we don't know about, have you heard anything about our illegal migration at the southern border recently? Like what's been going on? Well, let me give you a little news. Border Patrol recorded almost a quarter of a million encounters across the southern border in September. Actually, it was 218,777. Those are the ones that they encountered. In other words, those don't include any of the gotaways. So it's a quarter of a million, you can bet. That's the highest record for the month going all the way back to 2000. September marks the end of fiscal year 2023, meaning Border Patrol apprehensions surpassed 2 million. The last September high was when the Border Patrol recorded 207,000. That was in 2022. You know, last year. Every year it goes up. It's the policy of Customs and Border Patrol to neither confirm nor speak to potentially improperly disclosed information or internal documents marked as law enforcement sensitive or for official use only. That's what one Customs and Border Protection spokesperson said when uh, Daily Caller was trying to get the data. That sports spokesperson referred to the Daily Caller to a previous statement from Troy Miller, senior official performing the duties of a commissioner about the surge in illegal immigration at our southern border back in August that hit 181,000. CBP remains vigilant in the face of, yeah, you know, I'm tired of hearing the excuses, as are you. It's amazing that they just won't follow the law. Just follow the law. So one very exasperated Republican governor, he's taking moves to beef up border security at the bottom of his state. And this this governor said, we're the only ones doing anything. Now, who would that be? You got the governor of California, the governor of Arizona, the governor of New Mexico, the governor of Texas. Uh Uh-uh. This is a governor with a border of Canada. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know they were having issues up there. Governor Chris Sununu of New Hampshire. He's frustrated by what he argues is a lack of support by the Biden administration. Chris Sununu, Republican of New Hampshire, is taking matters into his own hands to help secure his state's northern border with Canada. He announced yesterday he'll use $1.4 million in funding from New Hampshire's current budget to boost tenfold patrols by state and local law enforcement officers along the 58-mile border. While acknowledging that the deteriorating situation along America's northern border is overshadowed by the crisis at our southern border, The governor emphasized there have been more apprehensions along our northern border in just this past year than in the last 10 years combined. (laughs) Encounters with individuals on the terrorist watch list at the ports of entry up on the northern border 
They've doubled since 2017. We give you these numbers. We get the numbers from our officials. And we need to understand they're more than just numbers. Do you think those terrorists that are coming in here are coming in here just because they they want to get a better life for themselves and their family members? Oh, I'm sure there are people that number among those. But the other 150 or so that we know when they came in, we didn't know when they were let in, but we found out later after they had been uh, released into the nation that they were on the terrorist watch list. 150 there. What about these ones at the northern border? You think they're here for vacation? You don't think they're terrorists that are going to be terrorists? Hmm. There are so many things that we just don't get right. And we get so many versions of, quote, the truth, end quote. We don't know who to believe who to disbelieve. And that's why I said at the top of the show, we've gotten to the point now, I've gotten to the point now when I hear a political speech, when I watch a political speech, even from some people in Congress that I know, my default position on it is I don't believe them at first until I can check out what they're saying and make sure it's true. Where do you go to do that? You talk about a conundrum we're all in. Where do you go to get the facts? Who can you trust? I don't believe you can trust every media outlet all the time. I don't think there's one that you can just watch or listen to what they say and just automatically know for certain that everything they're saying, we trust them. It's going to be true. Now, I think there are some that we can narrow down and feel more confident about. I'm very confident about media outlets like MSNBC. MSNBC is 100% in the pocket of leftist Democrats and government. No question about it, as is the Washington Post, the New York Times. There's a bunch of them out there. Who can we believe? Like I said, I can't believe, I don't believe anybody 100% of the time. Who do I trust more than others? Newsmax, One America News. Um, I really like Levin. I like his show. He's the constitutional attorney, and, and, and the constitutional attorneys that I hear from or read their stuff that I trust more than anybody is Mark Levin. What is this nation coming to? I mean, look at what's happening in our media world just over this latest Hamas-Israeli stuff. This is an example of what we're living in today. It's been community noted. The New York Times, as we covered yesterday, changed their headline on it three times. Uh, You made the point that they showed a, a picture under the headline on the front page of the New York Times that was not the hospital. It hit a parking lot. But I want to show you, because you're making the point of how quickly the media just takes Hamas's word. Hamas says something, and then the media, the corporate press, just repeats it. Here's MSNBC reporting what we now know to be a complete lie. But the Palestinian health ministry is saying a hospital in Gaza City in the northern end of Gaza 
has taken a direct hit from an Israeli airstrike. They are saying hundreds, at minimum 300 people, have been killed in this strike. Now, we have not yet heard any comments about this allegation from the Israeli military, but these images that are coming out of Gaza City are absolutely harrowing. And how do we explain to people that when they say the Palestinian government or the Palestinian health ministry, they're talking specifically about Hamas. And as you laid out, they want as many dead civilians or at least the idea of dead civilians as possible. I mean, they're liars. This is the part that's astonishing. You're literally taking the word of the people who committed a genocidal massacre of Jews five minutes ago. And you're pretending that they tell you the truth on these matters. Now, we know for a fact that Hamas lies about this stuff on the routine. They do it routinely. In 2014, the New York Times admitted that Hamas, their health ministry, their so-called health ministry, lies routinely about casualty, casualty statistics. The Washington Post reported the same thing. If you are a reporter in the Gaza Strip, you're only there because Hamas is allowing you to be there. What that means is that if you don't say what Hamas wants you to say, they will either expel you or they will kill you. Everyone mm-hmm. knows this in the Gaza Strip. And yet they take at face value the, 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 the proclamations of an actual honest-to-God terror group. And then when it turns out that every element of the story is false, the ro- it was a Palestinian Islamic Jihad rocket. It did not hit a hospital. It hit the parking lot next to the hospital, doing no actual structural damage to the hospital itself. When every single element of the story turns out to be false, the media then say, well, you know, the story is now being contested. It's not being contested. You mm-hmm. guys blew it. And not only did you blow it, you blew it for a very particular reason, which is you were eager. You were eager for a story of an Israeli atrocity that you could use to juxtapose with what happened on October 7th. So you could go right back to your moral equivalence nonsense, thereby exacerbating all conflict in the Middle East and getting more Jews and Arabs killed, by the way. Because when conflict arises in the Middle East, it isn't just Jews that are getting killed. Jews mm-hmm. then have to go in and kill the bad guys. And that means that a lot of innocent people are going to die. So you want some facts on this thing? Victor Davis Hanson, he is one of my go-to guys. I really like him. He's very factual. He's very matter-of-fact. And if you don't know him or know about him, I encourage you to look him up. Go to his website, Victor Davis Hanson. He is um, hes a West Coast guy, but he is a West Coast conservative guy, Stanford is where he hangs out. What do you think he thinks? He's an expert. He looks for facts, and he stays right down the middle. He doesn't go left or right in the zone unless and until he figures out that is the right way to go on particular issues. Victor Davis Hanson, and what you're going to hear right now, he sets the record straight for those who support Hamas. And we got a lot of Americans that are out there. They say they're supporting the Palestinian people. Really, they're not. They're supporting Hamas and a bunch of people that identify with Hamas are not even Palestinian. Here's Victor Davis Hanson. All right, so Hamas calls for a day of rage and marches followed by heightened security across the globe that followed quickly. Where is all of this headed? Victor Davis Hanson is a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution. He joins us now to answer. Victor, you're always great at putting this into perspective. Where are we headed? Well, I think Israel was at the height of its prosperity, security. It's a model of a humane, successful society. And there were all these centrifugal forces around it. People said, if you just hire Gazans and bring them into your uh, work force every day, they will see how magnanimous you are, and they'll interpret that 
and recipro reciprocal. They will, they will appreciate it. You'll help the economy. And they said, if you're going to have the Abram Accords renewed, it's going to be a new day. And don't worry about the Iran deal. We'll, uh, we'll negotiate. And we have Robert Malley working on it. And we're going to bring uh, aid back to Hamas. And that was all fine and good, the pressures that Israel was under. But as you said, they didn't read the charter of Hamas. And Hamas has never said that they were interested in any type of deal with Israel, much less they've even said they don't even want to build a model state in Gaza, even though they've had millions of dollars infused from the Europeans, the Americans, the UN. They're not interested in that. Just read what they say. They want to destroy Israel. And Israel has no margin of error, Will. So when you pressure it and pressure it, and they feel that maybe, just maybe, just at this moment, finally at the apex of our success, we can be magnanimous and we can live, and then, and then it can't happen. Not until Hamas is gone, because it has, it's an existential threat. They want to destroy it. And what's very scary is we in the United States think, if you have a PhD or an MA or a JD, and you have a university billet, or you're the head of a foundation, you drive an MBW, Emmett, Mercedes, you name it, that somehow you're sophisticated. And when you, you say that you're for Hamas or Israel's apartheid, so there's no connection with the violence. You wouldn't. But you're advocating violence. They are advocating. When they say they want, want to destroy Israel here in the United States, these sophisticated, they do. And they're complicit with it. Hmm. And when you see people beheaded and dismembered and their bodies mutilated and neck laced, and then you have these refined intellectuals saying that this was great, that's, that's what they're saying. And we all say, well, they don't really mean that. They're just saying that the, give the pal Palestinians a state. Well, the Hamas doesn't want one. Gaza doesn't want one. So even where I work at Stanford University, we had a professor who was just suspended because she was centering on Palestinian uh, Jewish students and trying to ostracize them in her own class. It's insidious, and they get away with it. And I think what's needed is Israel's going to have to say, we're not at the end of history, and, and don't pressure us. We're a humane society. We have nothing to apologize for, and we're going to take care of Hamas. And we, we don't want, we didn't ask for it. You, you pressured us. We tried the therapeutic route, and now we're going to go through the tragic route, that they want to destroy us, and we're not going to let them do it. And when we, we, all of us in the United States, have to say, every time you get up and you support Hamas, you're supporting murder. And we don't care what your title is, how much money you have, what the coat and tie and the suit you wear, that's what you're doing. You're no different than the people who go across and butcher civilians in a time of peace at a holiday. So we've got to change the entire dynamic, and we've got to stop telling Israel what Israel has to do, because if anything goes wrong, we don't suffer. They do. And anybody who read Hamas's charter, anybody listened to Robert Malley, our Iran point man, and said what he said, about Hamas and Hezbollah the last few years. Anybody that takes the words of Anthony Blinken when he says that Iran may not have any uh, connection with this terror or that we should have a ceasefire, all of that has to be put in the proper context. So that is partly responsible to what we're watching. So let's just lay off Israel and don't tell it what to do when it's suffered 12,000 right. deaths in a pre-modern, pre-civilization fashion. Will, that we haven't seen in our lifetime. We've seen nothing like this. It's just pure hate 
And if they have their chance, they would do it to every Jewish citizen of Israel. Pure savagery. And I'm getting so tired of these modern intellectuals, intelligentsia, that think that because they're refined, they can, they can endorse barbarism and nobody will call them out on it. Victor, you mentioned that outlandish story out of Stanford. We're going to be talking more about that in just a moment. We appreciate you being with us. Victor Davis Hanson. Now, what you heard was based on factual stuff. Nobody credible will take what he said, what you just heard, and negate it with any facts. In this conversation between Palestinians and Hamas, Hezbollah and Iran, they're all coming from the same point. Now, their objectives, because they're in different parts of the world, different parts of the country, they are made up and comprised of different people, but they have one thing in common. They hate Israel. They hate the United States, and they want us to disappear. They want to be part of us making the Disappearance Act happen. That's a fact. They're not going to tell you that, but we wouldn't listen to a liar and believe and make decisions based upon what a liar tells us. We should do that when it comes to people like Hamas. And it's not just Hamas. I'll never forget. Do you remember when more than 400 American military people, people in the U.S. military stationed in Beirut, Lebanon, do you remember when that terrorist drove that truck full of explosives and exploded that building and killed all of those American people? One incident. Who does that? That, my friends, is the definition of terrorism. Today, our leaders in D.C., the ones that don't come out and just damn those who assault Israel, civilians, unprovoked, not things that justify a war, but are simply things based upon religious differences, political differences, and skin color difference. And they kill each other for that. That's the craziest thing I have ever dealt with in my life, is trying to reconcile that as being okay. Now, back here in the United States, the very same people that tell us we've got to forget about skin color, we've got to look at each other as Americans, and that's the way it is, is going to be. We treat each other the same, regardless of your sexual preference, your religion, your nation of origin, your skin color, your sexual identity. We've got to treat everybody the same. Are the same people that go over there, or they stand on their bully pulpits like Michigan Representative Rashida Tlaib did, crying because Israel slaughtered Palestinians in that hospital. And she still maintains that, even though scientific facts prove otherwise. Why did they do that? It's because of hatred. Hatred. I'm still struggling. I'm trying to reconcile what uh, our leader of the FBI testified and continues to double and triple down on what he said, the number one 
enemy in the United States, the most deadly thing, the existential threat that we feel, it's not any of this stuff that's going on now. It's white supremacy. White supremacy. So let me finish this segment. We're almost through for the day. We still got a little bit left. I've got plenty of content I'd love to give to you, but we're running out of time. But let me let me just give you an explanation of how stupid that is for Christopher Ray, FBI director, to say that. For the president of the United States to say that and double and triple and quadruple down on it, that's the number one enemy of the United States white supremacy. 2020, the entire year. Do you know how many riots there were across the nation that were big enough to be classified as being real riots? You know how many of those there were? 400 plus. 400. Big cities, medium-sized cities, small cities, 400 that were classified legally as riots. How many of those riots had white supremacists involved in them? How many people died? How many people were injured? How many policemen? How many military members that were called in? How many of those people were involved? And white supremacists killed them, hurt them? Zero. How much money was lost at the hands of white supremacists among those 400 riots? Because of white supremacists? Zero. Now, I'm just going to pull another organization, pull it out of a hat, and give you a comparison. How many of those 400 riots were initiated or were heavily attended and taken part in by the likes of uh, Black Lives Matter? 400 riots that year? Black Lives Matter was heavily involved in, promoted totally, initiated totally, more than half of those. How many billions of dollars in infrastructure? I'm talking about buildings. I'm talking about infrastructure in towns and cities. How many billions of dollars were lost? We don't know. Somebody probably does, but the number won't be released. And yet today, Christopher Ray still maintained that white supremacists and white supremacy is the number one threat to the American people in the world. We have at least 31 Americans that were slaughtered by Hamas and Israel. Did you hear President Biden say what he was going to do about it? Did you hear him mention the Americans that are being held as hostages by Hamas. We don't even know who they are. We don't know how many there are. We still don't have a final number with proof of how many Americans died. Look back in our rearview mirror. How many presidents do you think would not address those and not put the offenders on notice and not do things to hold the offenders, the murderers, to hold them accountable for it. Look back in your rearview mirror. Can you think of how many presidents would just say, oh, well, and move on? That's what Joe Biden is doing. 
I don't think Barack Obama would have just done that. Certainly Donald Trump wouldn't have done it. If Donald Trump was president, most Americans think none of this would be happening right now because of what the people in the world saw with Donald Trump as president. He was a real leader compared to Joe Biden, who's a real politician. And real politicians can be manipulated and are manipulated by people all the time. We're nowhere close to getting to the end of all this stuff. In fact, we're actually living maybe halfway into it. There's a whole lot more to come. You want to hear another debacle that's been buried? President Biden's food stamp expansion that he is trying to make unilaterally. It increased spending for the program by 27%. That's the largest food stamp increase in history. How much is that going to cost us? $250 billion, according to a report first shared with the Daily Caller News Foundation. The Foundation for Government Accountability, it's called the FGA, argues the expansion of the thrifty food plan is unlawful as it didn't get congressional approval and is encouraging lawmakers to repeal the price hike or reform the benefits to save American taxpayers a paltry $150 billion. $250 billion over the next decade if Congress doesn't intervene. And the House of Representatives, they're still trying to get a leader so they can start doing things like this and discuss them, debate them, and take action. They can't do it. And that's where all the money stuff of American tax dollars is considered and voted on and becomes legally, or it's tossed to the side. That can't even be done right now. Under the Biden administration, Department of Agriculture implemented the largest food stamp increase in history. They hiked the program spending by 27%. Congress holds the purse strings. They can freeze Biden's unlawful thrifty food plan, spending plan as part of the farm bill and save us $150 billion before it's spent. And if it's ever allegated, pretty much by any president, any administration, most of them for sure, but especially Joe Biden's, if it's allocated, you can book it. It's going to be spent. That's what politicians are all about. The USDA updated the program to replace the 06 version of the Thrifty Food Plan, which went into effect October of 2021. Under the revised program, families receive increased supplemental nutrition assistance program called SNAP, allotments under that program, which they can decide how to spend according to their food needs. You hear the stories all the time about going to a grocery store and you're being very careful about the stuff that you buy. When you go to the meat department, the first thing you look for is meat that's on sale for whatever reason or reasons, and it's a better bargain. And you very carefully pick and choose, and you may not buy this this week because you're a little short of money or you're concerned about it, and so you just pass on that. And when you get to the cash register up there, there's a person in front of you with a basket full of T-bone steaks and 
cookies and candy, bread out the wazoo, all kinds of food that you passed on, and the person pays for it with food stamps. We hear those stories all the time. It Realistically, it does happen from time to time. The historic food stamp spending hike, it breaks the 45-year precedent of cost neutrality policy within the food stamp program. Anything, anything the government gets involved with and it has money in it, you can book it. It's got problems in it. It is full of problems. Hey, listen, thank you so much for sharing Friday with us. I want you to have a great weekend. Learn things. Get facts. Don't obsess and pray for the United States of America. We really, really need the prayers of everyone. You guys have a great weekend.